Hey, welcome to Equippers Church Sermon of the Week. My name is John Sparrow. I'm the lead pastor here at Equippers Church, and I'm thrilled you're tuning in. I believe the message you're about to hear is going to encourage you, inspire you, and equip you for life. If you'd like to know more about Equippers Church and ways to partner with us, please visit equipperscc.com. God bless. But we're going to wrap up our King of Dysfunction series um, with part number five. My Uncle Mike lied last week. I, I apologize on his behalf. He thought he was landing the plane. Um, but we're going to land the plane today. And uh, how many thought last week was awesome with Pastor Mike Sparrow? Um, I think it's such a great need in our community to be involved with uh, local mission and being involved in the, the foster community. And so, again, just a reminder to, to reach out and uh, find out more about Family Care Network and what they're doing in this community. Before we get into it, I'm going to pray, and uh, this should be uh, fairly concise today with an opportunity for response um, as we wrap this thing up, and would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for this time that we share together. I ask that your Holy Spirit would come and lead us into all truth this morning. We know that you work in powerful ways that always exceed our expectation. And so, Lord, I ask that no matter how hard hearts are today, now how, how distant they feel, God, that you would draw near, that you would bring life, you'd bring a miracle, you'd bring salvation today. And uh, Lord, I ask that you would equip me in this moment, make me a worthy vessel for your message today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, I'm going to start out with, with a quote, typically, oh, oh, turn it for the video. Please edit that out and then throw it away. Like all the things they use, right? We're always being watched. Um, I'm going to start out with a quote today. Usually I'd start with a scripture, but we'll, we'll get there. This is an amazing quote by A.W. Tozer um, in, in his book called The Knowledge of the Holy, uh, which if you've ever written, you have to stop every maybe three sentences to get your head around what he's proposing. And, and this, he kicks off the book like this. It, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Isn't that powerful? What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What, what comes to your mind when you think about God? Love, peace, joy, mercy. But um, I, I want to talk about something today that Again, might be a little bit touchy. It might bring up some emotion, but I promise we're going to get somewhere with this. And we're going to talk about fatherhood today, parental relationships, because we, we would be ignorant to think that our earthly experience with our fathers does not interfere with our view of God. It's just the way it goes. I, I haven't been a pastor a very long time, but the, the amount of times I sit down with people and and we have conversations and, and I guess, counseling sessions. I, you, I'm not a counselor, guys, so please don't come to me for counseling. Um, I'll say, you know what? There's probably someone better for this. I love you so much, and God bless you. Um, it's good counsel. Um, no, no, I do my best. But what, I, what I'm learning is that the majority of the people that I interface with that, that, that are looking for freedom, looking for breakthrough. It's something related to their childhood, something that they experience with their mother, with their father, that puts a filter on how they see God. And so if this is true, which I believe it is, this quote by A.W. Tozer, that the most important thing about us is what we think about, uh, what comes to mind when we think about God, then, then this is, can be a big issue. 
this can be the source of much dysfunction in our lives because our earthly experience can definitely filter our heavenly experience. And so I, I want to talk about a few, um, a few types of God that we, we think about. And uh, when, we, when we close our eyes or I say God and, you know, we all go to some visual place when I say that. And I'm going to just list, go on a list of a few versions of God that we go to. Is that cool? Yeah. The first one is Grandpa God. Grandpa God is sweet, right? Grandpa God is Morgan Freeman-esque, right? He's got a soothing voice, and, you know, he's comfortable to be around, and he's really sweet, and, you know, you love a grandpa. And, and, uh, but the thing about grandpa is, sure, he may have the newest iPhone, but you know that font is, like, massive, and he's always butt-dialing you, and no offense to the grandpas, but it's just kind of the way it is. And uh, if grandpa can't figure out his iPhone, there's no way he's going to be able to figure out the complexities of your life. That's grandpa God. He, he's sweet, and, and I like the idea and the comfort that comes with him, but when it comes to the complexities of life and what I'm dealing with, he's going to stay as grandpa God. That's, that's one filter that we put on God. The other one is scorekeeper God. Scorekeeper God's all about the merit system. You, get, you better watch out what you do or don't do because God in heaven is keeping score. He, he, he is ultimately accumulating and making sure that the good outweighs the bad so that you might make it in one day. And we could think that about God. It's a filter that we put on God. The, the next one, I love this, it's so popular right now, is the cosmic force God. <laughs> he's nameless, he's faceless. Um, we, we, this is like a feeling or a vibe, you know? Like God, a vibe, I'm, I'm feeling God. And he's just a cosmic force that has no relational attribute to him. He, he's just out there, present somewhere in the cosmos. That's cosmic force God. The next one is angry God. Some of us, when we close our eyes and we go to prayer, we assume that God is angry. That somehow this God is, is looking to make us pay. He's upset because of what we've done and what humanity's done, and he's surprised by the state of the world, and he's reactionary in his response to it, so he must be angry. We can put that filter on God that he's somehow angry. I love this one, concierge God. Look, I love that you want a good parking spot. I do too. But isn't it funny that... Uh, at certain times, we can put a filter on God that's as a concierge. So what I need in a moment for my convenience, my pleasure, and my comfort, I, then I, I will make this connection. God, I could really use a good parking spot right now. God, God, if you would just make my internet work so I can watch Netflix, that would be so appreciated. And you just pray and pray and pray that concierge will pick up the phone and say, of course, I'll send it up to your room now. Right? Sometimes that can be a filter that, that we put on God. The, the next one is stained glass God. Um, he's highbrowed and stoic. And uh, this God only uses complex theological words, and uh, he, he really prefers that things are really proper. And please, 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 no current music in church. That would be so offensive. It might rattle the glass a little bit. Stained glass God. We can put that filter on our Heavenly Father this is a good one. Hipster God. Hipster God's super relevant, man. Hipster God is actually part barista. 
part theologian. He's, he, he's super relevant, super cool, hipster God. Next one is Buddy God. He's, he's, he, he stays in the realm of just being on our level. And, uh, we, you know, he's greeted with a, what's up, bro? And there's really a recognition of, of friendship, which is great. And I hope that God is your friend. But he stays in that sort of realm as just Buddy God. You know, he, he's my buddy. Hey, what's up, bro? How are you, dude? That whole thing. And then here's, here's the best uh, to wrap it all up is buffet God. And so given the moment and what you need, you choose which God will be appropriate for which setting. <laughs> right? Come on, is anyone just be honest that they go through these filters? I, I'm standing here with my hand up. I go through these filters at times of what God, it'd just be convenient for now. And somehow, through our experience and our filters, we can decide what God we need in what moment. And uh, what I, what I want to talk about is our, our filters and experiences in life that change our perspective. Josiah was so on it this morning, of perspective, how we view God is the most important thing about us. Many of you may not know this, um, but I, I played football one year of my life. That is so offensive. Like, all I had to say is I played football and everyone laughed. What, I don't look it? Even better, if you know anything about football, you know what positions I played? I played tight end, which is usually a big guy, quit and stand up. This is usually who plays tight end. Um... I played tight end, and then defensively, I played cornerback on the corner of the defensive line, which makes no sense. And uh, our team was really good. I'm not going to say that I was, uh, just to be honest, but my team was really good. And uh, this was Bantam's football. I was like 12 years old. And uh, we actually, we we won every single game that season. No joke, undefeated. And, And better yet, there was only six points scored against us the entire season. We were really good. And I still have the sweatshirt. I'm sure my parents still wear their sweatshirts all the time, just in pride, you know, of their son. And I don't know if Lene still has it, but she, at one point in time, in her car, had my Little League football picture in, in like, her dashboard of her car. Number 55, still have the jersey. Like, it was a big deal. And uh, we won the Super Bowl. Best thing ever was that the opposing team, Boo Lompoke, showed up, showed up to the game with patches already sewn on their jerseys, Super Bowl champs. So that felt good, man. That felt good to humble them. And, and so I went undefeated and uh, played and only six points against us. And then I, I, I just figured, hey, I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> That's the entirety of my football experience was winning, 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 winning. So at times, when I am watching the NFL and know these guys are getting paid millions of dollars to do what they do, and I think, how come when I did it, it just worked out, right? Like, why can't these guys just do better? When I did it, we won every game. No one scored any points. Why can't these guys just figure it out, right? But just because I experienced something doesn't make it correct. You hear what I'm saying? That was my experience, and it was a good experience, but I cannot superimpose that over professional football players, no matter my opinion 
and how real that one season of football was for me. And so just because it's your experience doesn't always make it the truth. And um, I'm going to read this passage of Scripture out of Matthew 25, and it might be a little bit of a different perspective than you've heard on it before. I'm just going to read it, and we'll, we'll talk about it. This is typically titled the, uh, the Story of the Good Stewards, or the, the Parable of the Talents. And I'll pick it up, verse 14. It says, Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Get this. Let's celebrate together. Verse 22, the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I have, could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ouch! So we've often used this scripture as a reference for what we do in life, which is good. I believe we've got to be good stewards. Whatever God's given us and entrusted to us, let's do the best we know how to do with it. Be a good steward. But this, this passage of scripture isn't really about doing. This scripture, this parable... It's about how we view God. It's about our view of God. Because the master is never alluded to in this story as being evil, deceitful, a harsh man. Like, this is what Jesus gives us. He gives us this parable, and he doesn't preface it with, there was a harsh man one day. He, he doesn't preface it that way. He actually starts the story with, really, there was a generous man who had faith in his servants. He was optimistic about his servants. And, and get this, he gave five bags of silver to the first steward, and the guy invested it. Meaning that this first steward understood that this was a safe environment to take some risk 
and investing and hoping to get more because he had a correct view of the master. The second one, he took the two bags of silver. He, it says that he invested it with hopes to make more. I mean, you know, to, to make more, you have to risk something. And so there was a correct view of the master and his generosity in the way that this story starts, of the master being generous. The last servant, for some reason, I don't know why, Jesus didn't explain it, but had presumed that the master was a harsh man. And, and he presumed the environment in which he was stewarding was harsh, and, and that it was, if he took risk and, and, he, and he blew it, then, well, he kind of prophesied his own future was that he had this idea for some reason that this, this master was a harsh man. But here's the reality of the master is that he gives generously first. He gets some return, and then he gives more. <laughs> and then he throws a party. Sounds like a fun guy to me, <laughs> right? Like you get a gift at the door, you get a gift during the party, and then you get like a, what do you call it, party favor on the way home. Like he's a good party host. He's a good master. But for some reason, this one servant presumed that he was evil. And so when we, when we talk about our list of gods that we come up with, our view of God, we can come up in our minds of all kinds of filters on who we perceive God to be. But what I want to talk about this morning just briefly is that the chief view of God throughout Scripture the chief image of God that was presented by Jesus is Father. And so out of all the filters that we could come up with, out of all the titles, and there's many titles for God throughout Scripture, the chief image, the goal that Scripture is trying to get across to us and what Jesus came to reveal to humanity is that God is a Father. And he loves his children to the point that he gives what's most precious to them generously. That they might be in perfect relationship. See, God is a, is a good master. He's a good father. He has our best interests in mind. But what can happen is that through life we experience things that are alternative to what Scripture says God is. We experience things that are real and they're valid and they're difficult and Look, now that I'm a father, I realize how difficult it is to live up to the expectation. My kids don't even put expectation on me yet, but everyone else around me does, right? Everyone has their opinion of what you should do. Everyone has their opinion of how you should feed them and when you should feed them and what you shouldn't feed them, how you should discipline them. Everyone is holding a measuring stick up to my parenthood, <laughs> So that, that's my experience. I, and I'm realizing it's really difficult to be a good one. This isn't easy. And so first of all, to the fathers in this room that you know you have fallen short at times, there is grace for you. Right? There's grace for you. There's a new day. There's a new start. There's another opportunity to mothers in this room. Because this is not exclusive to, to, to children and father relationships. So much dysfunction can come from children to mother relationships. So the grace is the same. The forgiveness is the same. We love you. Keep going. Keep trying your best. Keep going to God and how you parent and how you nurture and how you love. Keep going to God. But through all of that, we can get these filters. Would somebody say amen? amen. <clears throat> but the, the chief image is as a father, and this is the image we need to direct our primary response mechanism towards God. 
as a father. When we think about God, it must be as a father. And I just want to address a few types of fathers. And uh, I think a lot of us in this room are going to uh, associate with one of these six or maybe multiple of these six. And the point of doing this is not to point out issue. What did I say the first week? Like, what's required for a miracle? A problem. <laughs> In order for a miracle to take place, there must be a need. Right? And so when I read through this list, this is for the point of miracles. This is for the point of healing. This is for the point of reconciliation. It's not another guy pointing out all that's wrong with the world. They need to shut up. Sorry if that's you. Not sorry. Amen. Just kidding. Love you. <laughs> Six types of fathers. First one is uh, the absent father. And uh, this father can be absent for many reasons. One of those being death. And another divorce or just lack of understanding what it, what it means to, to be a dad. So he's, he's been absent, and uh, there's been an ex expectation in your heart that you would have relationship and that he would draw near and there would be a presence, but he's chosen or because of circumstance has ended up absent. Look, this one is, is very sensitive, and I, I, but I feel like we need to go there for a second, is, is the abusive father. This is the type of father that can say things that know how to cut you to your core. Look, the thing we long for most in a father is approval. <laughs> and so if our expectation is that high for approval, how much more can it be detrimental what we hear from the mouth of our father? What he says, and even to the point of, of physical abuse. At some point in time, you may have experienced physical abuse from your father, and that is a real experience that is, is valid and, and true. And I think we'd be surprised the amount of people sitting around us who have experienced this type of hell of growing up in an abusive environment. The next one is the passive father. This one, he might be a nice guy, but he's weak and mostly silent. He takes the, 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 the co-role in life. And when I say father, again, this is, this is parent uh, talk. Mother, father, I understand that there are really strong, brilliant, amazing single mothers represented in this room that are having and forced to, because of life circumstance, fill both those roles. And you could have been raised in one of those environments and associated some of these characteristics by the way you were raised. So it can be passive. Or there's the performance-based father. Life with this dad is a grind. Like, he, he, he's fine with handing out blessing and his love and approval and encouragement as long as you did something to deserve it. He's keeping record. He is the performance-based father. Or, or like my dad, the antagonistic father. <laughs> Life's a bit of a competition. And we poke. And we joke. But one of us got to be better. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sometimes. But um, the antagonistic father, uh, I, have a, I have a good dad. I actually have an amazing dad. And, uh, but what I want to say, and this is the last one, is the empowering father. 
Look, some, some of us know that although our dads are, aren't perfect, he's doing his best. Some of us have had brilliant fathers. I, I myself is one of those, those kids that grew up in an amazing environment. I have a great dad. But still my great dad is not an appropriate filter for a great father in heaven. I still can be guilty of limiting my view of my heavenly father to my good earthly father. But, but that's really not the point. The point is, is this, that, that God is, is not the reflection of our heavenly fathers. Get this, he's the perfection of our earthly fathers. What do I mean by that? Look, you were born with a desire to be a son or a daughter, whether you know it or not. And because some of the things I just said cut a little bit deep, and they brought up some memories, is because God put a desire in you to be in that position, to be under blessing, to be under approval, to be safe, to be secure, to be affirmed. That is a God-ordained mechanism in humanity to long for that from a father. And look, here's the deal, that like most of our earthly fathers, they didn't measure up and fill all those needs, but here's the beauty of it. That God is the perfection of our earthly fathers, meaning this, that he is able to, with every characteristic that he represents and sufficiency that he carries, he fills every longing, every desire, every place that was missing, every place that was abused, every place that was broken, where dad didn't show up. I know, and I will put my life on this, that God our Father is perfect, and he is the perfection of anything we've longed for in this life. <clears throat> Again, we can compartmentalize our lives and think that, you know, like, I'm never going to have a, a, a longing fulfilled in, in my heart because of what my earthly father has not done. But, but God's really good in other ways, you know, <laughs> and we smile and, you know, but God, in other ways, God, God's really good. That's an incorrect view of God. If I can say that. God is holistic. He's holy. <laughs> and so there's no compartments in our lives that the grace, the redemption, the favor of God cannot permeate and transform. So just because you didn't experience something with your earthly father, can I just say today that your heavenly father can meet you in that place? Amen. For so long, you've been putting that off and saying, well, I'll, I'll, that's untouchable. And that's okay because God's been really good otherwise. Can I be brave enough to say that God, as a father, is going to touch those places that you thought would never be reconciled? Can I be brave and just say that? So what, what do we do with, uh, <laughs> with that? I, I think that we use those longings and those desires to find our way to the Father. I think we navigate our emotion and what's missing or what was there or what we've you know, the expectation that was missed. And we use all those emotions, we use those expectations to find our way to a perfect father. And say, because that was missed, I know that my father in heaven will meet me at my expectation. And, and I want you to know that he's the perfect father you've always dreamed of. And from scripture, can I read you some things from scripture? There's no slides for these. According to scripture, you are the apple of his eye. According to scripture, he saw you long before you saw him. You are his unique and purposed creation. You have been loved by him since before there was time. He sought you and paid a ransom for you before you did one thing to deserve it. 
He never gave up on you. Before God ever asked anything from you, he gave you everything in the gift of his son. You matter to God. You have destiny. You are somebody. You have God-given gifts. Look, you're not the center of all creation, (laughs) but you are dearly loved by the one who is. You have access to the throne of grace. You have a seat at the table of heaven. You have a God to call father, and you have a God who calls you daughter or son. Isn't that good? Yeah, come on. And, that, and that's the truth. No matter how your Little League football experience was, and that's valid. But can I just tell you, remind you the truth. You have a Father in heaven who loves you unconditionally. He loves you perfectly, and he's given you everything you need to walk in that sort of relationship with him. One thing I love about our Father in heaven is, is that he's a healer. And he can heal all the wounds we've had. And he can actually pick you up and hold you in his care, as a good father would. And uh, I want want to read you a few more declarations out of Scripture. Because Jesus has accomplished, on our behalf, the ability to have perfect relationship with the Father. And this is what I mean by that. Jesus was cursed so that you could be cured. Jesus was forsaken so that you could be accepted. Jesus experienced the wrath of God's righteous judgment so that you could be released from the weight of sin and shame. Jesus was broken on the cross so that your shattered destiny could be put back together again. Jesus became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was wounded so that you could be healed. That's the good news of what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. He's made a way. Let's go to John 14. This is, uh, some of Jesus' disciples were questioning this sort of variation between Jesus and his father, and a bit confused about some of the things that Jesus was trying to explain to them, and so Thomas just says, we don't know, Lord, what are you, what are you talking about? You have, we have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Here it is, people. Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. So who are you asking me to show him to? Why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Wait a minute. What did Jesus just say? All that mystery, all that wandering, all that wondering, all the nights on your pillow thinking about God as this cosmic force and God is grandpa and God is whatever it is. Jesus came to reveal that he's a father, but he goes even further and says this, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And so it kind of puts our wanderings and our wonderings to rest, doesn't it? If I'm wondering what's on the heart of my father who's in seven, I just have to look at Jesus. I just have to look at his life. I just have to look at his mission. I just have to look at his heart. I have to look at his sacrifice. I have to look at his inclusivity and who he invites to the table. I I just have to look at Jesus, and according to Scripture, I can see an accurate representation of my Father who's in heaven. Isn't that refreshing? Because it can be so hard to get our head around this big God. 
But here's what he did. Throughout the Old Testament, God, God is referenced to his father 12 times. And uh, never as a title. He's never referred to his father as a title in the Old Testament, just as simile and metaphor. So God is like a father, like a father loves his children. You know, like, so there's metaphor. But Jesus comes on the scene, and he's baptized, and they hear the voice of the father. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he goes on, and he's teaching his disciples how to pray in Matthew 6. And they're, they're wondering about the complexity of prayer because some people have tried to make a spectacle of prayer and he's saying, don't be like them that stand in the synagogue, the street corners, and they make this spectacle, and they make sure that the trumpets announce their events and their gathering, and people are able to see what they're doing on the outside. He says, when you pray, go where? Go to your father, who's unseen. Go, go behind a closed door to your father, and your father who sees what's done in secret, he will reward you, which is a new concept. That somehow I could be in an intimate place with my Father and He would hear me. I could have communion with the Father. Jesus, what are you talking about? We've only known God to be likened to a Father, but now Jesus is representing God. He is the Father. And He goes on and, they, and He says, when you pray, pray like this. What did He say? Our Father, who art in heaven. You know, uh, in, in that context, in, in that culture, if you're in a position of authority, you would be expected to be addressed with a very long uh, title. I should have written it down, but when I've studied this in the past, like they're, they're talking about how they address Caesar and Maximus the greatest, and, and it, it would say it six times of your greatest, your honor, and, and uh, to the accolades of your name six times, and to the majesty of your throne seven times, and, and they would repeat these gestures and these affirmations of a position of someone in authority. And so Jesus' listeners are expecting to hear some sort of long, drawn-out approach to God. <laughs> he says, hey, when you're going to address God, all creator God, heavens and the earth God, new year before the foundations of the earth God, who has every reason to be addressed by these long, drawn-out names and titles, the only one who really is worthy of those titles, when you're going to approach him, say this, hey, dad, <laughs> literally what he said, Abba. See, every other culture, every other language, every other religion had a holy language up until this point. Up until this point, Hebrew was the holy language of Judaism. And Jesus does not say the Lord's Prayer in the holy language. He says this word, Abba, which is Aramaic, meaning that this is common folk language. Anybody can say it. Anybody can approach him. Anybody would have a frame of reference for what Jesus really meant. What, it, what he meant was is that this still to this day in parts of the Middle East, the first word out of a child's mouth is Abba. It's not derived from a real word, Father. It's derived from a sound. It's, it's derived from a noise that a newborn would make before they can muster up dada or father. They say Abba. It's just sounds. And so that is the connection that Jesus is trying to make to his church, to his people, is that before you can muster up this title, before you can even get your head around this big grand idea as God is father, there's something intuitively and instinctively in you that knows this needed and necessary connection to Abba. 
So when you go to God, hey, 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 Abba, or in heaven, that's a good place for dad to live. <laughs> Hallowed be your name. May, may it be kept holy. And we think of this as like, may it be kept holy, like make sure that nothing gets too close to mess it up. Make sure that your name stays behind closed doors. May it be kept holy. May it be kept blameless. And yes, 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 and amen. But, but really, may it be kept to its original purpose and intent. May it be kept Abba. And in other parts of Scripture, in Romans 8, Galatians 4, Paul uses this term, Abba Father, doesn't he? As children crying out, Abba Father. Why, 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 Paul, would you say, Father, Father? Abba means father, and then he writes father in Greek. Why are you writing father, father? It's because of this, because of the intentionality that Jesus had in using Aramaic for this word father, this word Abba, and all the implications of relationship that that meant for his people. When this was to be written or followed up on this concept of God as our father, you cannot go about explaining this concept without keeping Abba as father. Because if they would have removed Abba, they would have just went back to this sort of transactional sort of relationship to an authoritative figure. But he says, no, when you're going to keep communicating this principle and keeping his name holy, keeping his title holy, make sure that you remember the intention here. That this is relational father who is ultimately concerned about your well-being, who has plans to prosper you and not to harm you who has seen your end from the beginning and has made a way for you to walk in purpose and in destiny and even to the way that he became a servant so that you might become a son and a daughter. That's the original intention. Always trying to communicate. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So we got to ask, what's Jesus like? <laughs> what's Jesus like? So now when we ask that question... Most of us aren't referring to our earthly father. At least I don't. I think about Jesus because I've read him. I, I, I have scripture, I have story, and I know we do of, of God, but it's Jesus and his compassion, his empathy, his mercy, his miracles, signs and wonders and provision, sufficiency. So really, if we want to see our father, we, we've got to just look to Jesus Look, some of you may have come to church today for something more profound or whatever, you know, and you wanted me to unpack the book of Revelations for you. I'm so sorry. You're going to have to do that on your own time. God bless you in your, your journey. But guys, there's not a bigger concept to get our heads around than this. There's nothing deeper. There's nothing truer. There's nothing more profound. There's nothing that's more transformational than our view of God as Father. Because from that, we can walk in identity. From that, we can walk in purpose. From that, we know what we have access to. You know, I still have a key to my parents' house. I don't live there, but I have a key to my parents' house. Anybody else got a key to your parents' house? That's good news if you have a key to your parents' house. You just go in. Doesn't matter when. Eat their food. Take your kids there so they can help you. Without permission. Look, I have the privilege of having that sort of relationship, but we have the keys to our Father's kingdom. Jesus promised it. And so you have access as a son, as a daughter of God, to his kingdom, to his sufficiency, to his love, to his grace. 
And so look, I, I, we can, the team could come out and play pretty. I understand the, the complexity of what I'm just throwing out there as a net this morning. I understand the complexity of, of what your relationship could have been or could not have been with your earthly father. And I, I do know that in this time, in this era, because it was prophesied at the end of Malachi, before the 400 years of silence, before the New Testament, how's, how's the Old Testament wrap up? He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. So, and, and then Jesus says it again and, and reaffirms why he came, is he came to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and sons to the fathers. So I do know that God cares dramatically about earthly relationships, lateral relationships. I know that for certain that God cares. And, and I, I pray and I, I believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, there would be reconciliation in earthly relationships. And but I know the complexity of that. I know what that's going to take. I know the conversations. I know the miracles that have to take place for that to, to work out. I get it. But one thing I hope is that in, in our view of Jesus, we can see the Father and understand that the most important thing about us is what comes to mind when we think about God. It's to understand this. is like if we want to understand the intention of our Father because they're not always pure on this earth, is that, you know, God has a heart, right? The centrality of his being, of which everything else is sourced out of, the, the heart of God. What happened was, at one point in time, God, he, he took his heart and he, he put skin and bones on it in the form of Jesus sent it to earth so that the world could know what's the intention of God? What's the heart of God? What's the whole plan? What's the whole purpose? And look, I, I know you may have been wandering and wondering for a long time, what's the purpose here? Jesus. In his sufficiency, in his sacrifice, in the way that he's made for us to actually be in relationship with our Heavenly Father. Would you stand with me? Well, I pray that you're feeling encouraged, inspired, and equipped to take on whatever you may be facing in this life. And hey, why do you consider joining us? We meet every Sunday at the Clark Center in Arroyo Grande at 10 a.m., and it's always a good time. We'd love to have you with us. And for any more information, ways you can partner with us, please visit equipperscc.com. God bless. Amen.